0: And welcome back to the second episode of Energize Wisconsin, brought to you by the Wisconsin Conservative Energy Forum. Uh, today, we have Landon Stevens, the Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Conservative Energy Network, here to talk to us a little bit on policy, conservative politics, energy, um, and touch on a, on very interesting developments happening here in Wisconsin and across the country. Uh, so Landon, welcome to the podcast. I guess welcome to Wisconsin <laughs> a, a little bit. <laughs> but I just want to give you a second, introduce yourself to the crowd and we see you know, how you came to be sitting with us, what your background is, and, and maybe your role at CEN too.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It's always good to get out and uh, talk about some of these different issues across the country. So a, a little bit about myself really quick. I've been with the Conservative Energy Network now for just over a year, and I came here by way of the Arizona Corporation Commission. So I'm a, I'm a recovering regulator, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> I worked there for a, a few years years with a couple of the commissioners in Arizona as their policy advisor, helping on rate cases and really digging into kind of the nuts and bolts of the issues that face the utilities across Arizona. And then prior to that, I worked more on the academic side at a couple of think tanks at Strata Policy out in Utah, where we focused on energy, environment, and public lands issues. And then back in Washington, D.C. at the Institute for Energy Research covering a lot of the the same topics so I've been doing this for a while and it, it's been really interesting to see the transition that's occurred in the in the markets in the short time that I've been doing it but I'm excited to be here and to be working with the Conservative Energy Network. And what we do at CEN is how we refer to it. You know, we engage in 21 states across the country trying to identify and promote conservative solutions for lawmakers, regulators, and the public, educating them on how we can move to a clean energy future in a more conservative way and kind of balance those priorities as we move forward.
0: So so Landon, you've kind of been all over <laughs> to to some degree, right? Kind of like coast to coast on this a little bit. Um where 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 are you now? Where where are you you talking to us from right now, I guess?
1: Yep. So I'm still I'm still based out of Arizona. Okay. It's where I grew up. It's where me and my family are right now. So but I manage the national effort for all 21 of our states across the country. So I, I see this from all different states.
0: Yeah. So so assuming, you know, you're, you're maybe somebody who is a little bit more conservative minded, right? Obviously, you know, working at the Conservative Energy Network, working for CEN, what attracted you to clean energy, I guess, or to, to this area of policy, of, of politics? Uh, what What's the upside or what, you know, gets you excited about this stuff?
1: Yeah. Well, I, you know... It, what attracted me to policy uh, generally it's actually kind of in my blood i grew up living with my grandfather here in arizona who was uh, president of the senate and speaker of the house served for you know 20 plus years in the legislature and so i just kind of saw this firsthand uh, he was a big rancher here in arizona and one of the major issues that he worked towards was a kind of a groundbreaking uh, water management bill which is obviously important here in arizona back in the 80s and so i got to kind of firsthand how important these discussions are. And then as I was working in the energy field, you could just kind of see this transition and this discussion evolving. You know, since we got into kind of these emerging technologies, uh, the natural gas boom starting in 2007, 2008, with hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, it really changed the dynamic of these markets. And so it's becoming more and more important that we talk about these issues. And it seems a given in some regards that we're moving towards clean energy. And now we want to be involved as conservatives in the discussion of what does that transition look like? Because, you know, we want to control costs, but make sure that we're not picking winners and losers, that we're supporting free markets and encouraging choice while embracing these new technologies, these new innovations, and making sure that we're securing energy for America in the long term. And so I think being involved in these discussions as conservatives is more important than ever as this train starts going down the track.
0: Yeah, so have got a lot more exposure on this than I do. I, I'm basically three years deep on energy policy. At, at this point, I'm a novice, right? I'd like to tell people I'm an amateur expert at this stuff, which we all are to some degree, right? But I wanted to just ask you for a second on this. You've, you've been doing this for a while. Do you, do you feel out of step a little bit with your fellow conservatives or, or folks that, you know, are, are in the political right of center sphere? You know, Arizona is a different world, right, to some degree than Wisconsin is. So I just your own personal experience talking clean energy talking competition and, and from that from a conservative angle do you, do you feel you know out of step or do you think we we are fully engaging right now right like we are we're in it now and there's really no turning back or do you feel that there's still a lag sometimes to the conservative movement on this issue
1: yeah i think that there's there's still work to be done um and and even for myself it's been a, a transition over the last few years uh, like i I said uh, if you tried to tell people in in the energy industry back in 2005 what the world was going to look like just five years later that the US would be on track to be the global leader in oil production natural gas production completely energy independent you know they would have thought you were crazy at that point we were talking about peak oil and we were talking about peak natural gas and, and how do we bring in imports from around the world and so these markets are changing so quickly if you're not kind of involved in it every Every day, it's easy to just think of the same world that it was, you know, in the 80s and 90s. But things are moving. And I think, you know, we do a lot of polling with our organization to kind of get the pulse of the public and and the way that they're thinking. And more and more every year, we see across the spectrum that people really want sensible energy solutions, and they understand the value that clean energy is bringing to the market. And so I think, yeah, in some regards, you'll have tough conversations where, you know, we need to educate on the, the value of these things and kind of show where they fit in the marketplace today. But for the most part, I think people are getting it across the spectrum and it's making this discussion less political in terms of, you know, left versus right and just more a general economics discussion of how do we make this transition and do it in a way that's best for families and businesses across states and across the country.
0: Yeah, I like to tell people the technologies are broadly popular. Solar, wind, batteries, even even electric vehicles to some degree are all, you know, they're broadly popular with right of center voters, left of center, independent. But maybe the policy approach that we've been using for the last 15, 20 years is not that popular, yeah. right? So how do we take a fresh look at that? And um, so that that segues pretty well, actually, into into the main topic of the podcast today, which is curatization, changing markets and tools that we can use to ease this transition, speed it up, make it more advantageous for everybody. Um, Landon, I guess, give us a thirty thousand foot view. So we talked a little bit for a second about changing energy markets. You know, new technologies in, maybe some old technologies starting to phase out. From a thirty thousand foot view across the country, what does that look like? What's phasing in? What's in the money economically right now? What's kind of on the back burner, to leaving? You know, what what does that what does the transition look like right now?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly there's a lot of movement towards renewables, wind and solar across the country, especially as states pass some of these clean energy requirements for the states. You're going to see more and more of that. Uh, What we're going to see now, and I think this discussion really comes to the forefront after experiences like those we had in Texas, is what does the balance look like so that we make sure our grid is resilient across the board, that we can react and respond to all types of situations. And so I think what we're really calling for, and we truly believe this, is that all of the above approach. So as we're moving towards more renewables, how do we balance that? Is it with natural gas? What role does energy storage play? Technologies like nuclear hydro resources, where those are available, are great low cost resources. And so it's more just a sense of looking at how we're going to manage the grid in the future as these technologies come online, making sure that we find a good balanced approach for all of those. Right now, if you're talking purely economics, it looks like coal is clearly the odd man out. And so that's where this topic of securitization, I think is picking up kind of a new head of steam, if you will, is how do we deal with these coal plants that are coming offline and being replaced in many cases by natural gas, and in others by renewables.
0: Yeah, let's focus on coal though. I know securitization is kind of as a as a tool is really technology neutral, right? But let, let's let's focus on coal at least for, for a second here. So we have a barely aging infrastructure uh, across the country, right? I, last I saw the average age of a coal plant in the United States is something like 45 years old. Kind of getting into that area where utilities and, and your power or energy providers, they have a choice to make, right? Are they going to put more investment, infrastructure investment into those plants to keep them running longer or are we at a point where we need to phase some of these things out clearly across the country? And correct me if I'm wrong, Landon, utilities are kind of choosing to phase these plants out in, in a structured way. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Economically, in most cases, that makes sense. And so that's what they're going to do. But then also from many of these states are imposing environmental considerations. And so the utilities take that into account and they have to make choices based on some of those factors as well. So it, it kind of checks the boxes across the board, which is why I say coal is kind of the, uh, the odd man out in this yeah.
0: case. So securitization, it's in the weeds. I know it is. It's kind of a, <laughs> you, you really have to be a... A nerd, I think, to, to really like this topic to some degree. So can, can you give us the 101 on it? What is securitization? And then maybe let's get into how we could maybe utilize it here in Wisconsin or how it's been utilized in some other states. But what is it? Period. Let's, let's start there.
1: Yeah. As we said, you know, the cost of building new renewables, for instance, in many cases is now lower than the cost of continuing to operate most existing coal plants. If you want to make some kind of transition away from coal or close a plant early, you know the utilities still have a balance. They still have payments to be made on the cost of that plant. And so we have to look at how do we pay for that? And so if the plants are shut early, we need to know how to pay for the rest of the cost that's on there. So that's what securitization tries to solve. And the way that it does that, securitization is just a financing mechanism. So I like to relate it in In simplest terms, think of it like a mortgage. When utilities, you know, like you said, 30 or 40 years ago built a coal plant, they would go to the regulators in the state, basically say, hey, we need more power. We're gonna build a coal plant. Here's how much it's going to cost. We wanna spread out those payments over X number of years and customers are going to pay for it through a line item on your bill. That's the way that it works usually investors of those utilities they get paid back for the cost of the power plant plus they get a return on their investment which is usually between eight and ten percent think of it as the interest rate what securitization does is it recognizes that you know wow that's kind of a high interest rate and if we close this power plant and we still have to pay for it, you know, 10 or 15 years for a plant that's not producing any power. That's a lot of cost to put on ratepayers. So how do we limit that cost? And securitization allows utilities to offer low-cost bonds to the market that have a much lower interest rate. So usually in the neighborhood of 2 to 4%. And then you stretch out those payments over a longer period of time. And so instead of customers having to see big rate increases as these coal plants come offline, we can limit those impacts. And at the same time, they can enjoy the the cost savings of moving towards cleaner resources. So that's really what securitization is. I think in layman's terms, you can think of it like, refinancing your home to stretch your rates out and get a um, a lower interest rate to save money
0: yeah so it's a simple numbers game right from a ratepayer perspective instead of paying let's say ten percent on an on x dollar amount you're paying you said two to four percent give or take which you know has a potential especially a state here in Wisconsin, where we are starting to see a couple of retirements here and there we don't have a, a very large coal plant fleet in the state uh, not not a huge footprint but there there are costs Associated with that, we're, we're talking potentially hundreds of millions of dollars, really, in in savings for ratepayers at certain points. So, what other states? I guess you know, we always I tell people always in Wisconsin, we're you know, we're always looking at what other states have done or are doing, you know, what, what has been the experience in other states? Are there some other states that have experimented with this? Uh, what, what does it look like? You know, what where should we be drawing our example from, I guess, here in Wisconsin?
1: Yeah. So securitization as a tool, a financing tool is nothing new. Right now it's been authorized for use in 24 different states in DC and Puerto Rico and other states are looking at adding it as something that utilities can put into practice. Looking at the numbers, it's been used in about 65 different transactions for utilities across the country, totaling over $51 billion in these bonds. So for the most part, we haven't seen it used to address this transition from coal so much as we've seen it in other things like when hurricanes hit and damage assets in coastal states, for instance, or if a state is transitioning to a more deregulated model and there's some stranded assets that have to be sold off. We've seen it for other uses. It looks like New Mexico will probably be the first state here to use it when dealing with a coal plant transition. So the utility there, PNM, has made a decision to exit the San Juan coal plant about seven years ago early
0: and that's that's a fairly large coal plant isn't it if I, if I remember
1: it is yep yeah. yeah. and, and they think that just by exiting seven years early because the economics just aren't there right now for coal customers will save hundred million dollars on the operations of that plant but the problem is that Pm still owes 270 million dollars on the balance of that plant so how do we pay for that remaining balance? And so they're looking to securitization as an option there. And by stretching those payments out, not over seven years, but over a longer term and at a lower interest rate, it'll save customers tens of millions of dollars on the securitization side. Yeah, So that's one kind of recent example where that's taken place.
0: And, and I, I believe Colorado and is it is it Michigan have also just recently put in some policy uh, around this, have just kind of recently introduced and in passed policy on this?
1: They have. Yep. Michigan and Colorado have both authorized that. And six other states are considering what we call enabling legislation that will allow utilities to consider this as a proposal to deal with coal plant retirements specifically. So it is being discussed at state capitals across the country right now.
0: Yeah. And so just a little background on Wisconsin here specifically, and then we can get into this for a second too. We're not exactly a stranger to this as a policy tool. We're talking a little. Little bit before the podcast here, Wisconsin does have a limited securitization framework on the books right now. And, Landon, if you wanted to just detail for the audience for a second, this has been utilized once now. So, t- tell us, you know, what 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 has Wisconsin's exposure to this been so far?
1: Yeah. So back in 2003, State Senator Rob Cole's proposed curatization bill that was passed, you know, 17, 18 years ago at this point, and it wasn't used until uh, 2020. So We Energies had a pleasant prairie coal plant in the southern part of the state that they closed back in 2018, but it still had some unrecovered costs that were associated with it. And initially, the utility wanted to recover those through the normal mechanism, which is just having it stay on customers' bills until it's paid off. But the stakeholders got together and started discussing using securitization as an option and so in 2020, there was a settlement agreed to by we Energies and some different stakeholders that would allow them to securitize $100 million of those costs and stretch those payments out over 15 years, which would save customers $40 million over that time. And that was because, like I said, they were switching from about a 9.5% interest payment down to a 2.5% interest payment and stretching it out over a, a longer period of time. So this is a good first step. Utilities like it because it allows them to build goodwill with their customers, right? They always like their customers to save money, but it also is good for the on the customer's side of things because they're not stuck with those, those high costs. Now, like you said, in Wisconsin, you're a little bit limited Um, because of the way the law is structured right now, it only allows for utilities to use securitization to recover costs for pollution control investments. So that's when you're putting filters or scrubbers on an existing power plant. Um, It doesn't let you recover the full cost of the plant. So in the example we just talked about, there was about another $150 million of costs that were associated with the Pleasant Prairie plant that ratepayers just had to pay over the next few years at the higher rates. But if they were allowed to securitize the whole thing it could have saved ratepayers you know another 40 or 50 million dollars. So I think there's an ability there to talk about in the state, you know, expanding it, securitization to be used over the full cost of the plant, which would lead to more savings for customers in the future.
0: Yeah. So this is what I like about, you know, more innovative policy in this area, right? I mean, we're we're, we're not talking mandates and we're not talking the, the typical, you know, subsidy conversation. We're not really even, I mean, Landon, you, you and I haven't really been talking one resource versus another, right? I, I mean, we, we've, kind of just been talking about a, a very innovative policy tool here offered up and something that ostensibly really benefits everybody sitting at the table, right? Ratepayers, shareholders, utilities, renewable developers. I mean, it, it kind of benefits really everybody at the table here. Um, and, and that's what I think appeals, um, you know, so much to, to a policy like that. You know, especially in a state like Wisconsin, we're purple. You know, you've got to kind of find a middle ground. You've got to find some bipartisan solution or agreement here on some things. So I, I like this as a middle ground, pragmatic solution, right, that checks a lot of boxes for a lot of different people moves us in the correct direction but you know it also saves us money going forward
1: and and it is interesting i mean obviously the customers are the big winners in this because the cost of that plant because of the way that utility markets are structured the plant needs to be paid for it's just a matter of what interest rate is the customer going to pay for that plant but from the utility side, they also see securitization as a positive in many cases. When you're talking about you know, investments of this size, these utilities are worried about the impacts from credit ratings and different companies. So for instance, Moody's says that securitization is great for utilities because it allows them to recover an immediate source of cash that they can then go reinvest in a lot of these newer, cleaner technologies. And then they can also avoid kind of the negative credit events that happen when they're forced to rely on these uneconomic fossil plants long-term. So it really is a win-win for everybody. As you said, if if we're looking at ways to pay for the plant, this is one of the better ways to move forward. Yeah,
0: If we're being smart about it. So, but it sounds like we've got a little bit of work, you know, expand those options in Wisconsin here. So, Landon, any, anything else you think we missed in the conversation here? I we've been talking about stranded utility asset securitization, which thirty minutes is the max I think you can talk about this stuff. So, um, so Landon, is there anything you think we missed, or you want to add into the audience?
1: No, no, I think I think Wisconsin. Like I said, having that first step on the books is a good benefit for the ratepayers in the state and finding ways to leverage financial tools like this even greater into the future is only going to be a positive for Wisconsin overall. So
0: I think we'd agree there. Well, Landon, I I really appreciate it. Thank you for, for taking a little time to join us. Landon Stevens, Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Conservative Energy Network. Thank you, Landon.
1: No problem. Thank
0: you, Scott. And thank you to everybody listening. Uh, This was the second episode here of Energize Wisconsin podcast series brought to you by the Wisconsin Conservative Energy Forum. Appreciate everybody taking a little time with us. Thank you.